I'll take a tall glass of justice on the rocks. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Perhaps the kings were too far behind to see. The soldiers won the battle. History remembers kings, not soldiers. Plot dismissed! Bring in the dancing lobsters! Jesus, Gandhi, Hitler, Fonzie. What do all of these icons have in common? All men who have achieved the one-name status throughout life. Does Plato ring a bell? Welcome back, everybody, for your favorite monthly podcast, Nick's Nonfiction, here with your host, Nick Munez, this month of December, dissecting Plato's Republic. If you like philosophy, higher thinking, education, I have managed to make all these things lowbrow. We are talking with Plato, Socrates, the philosopher king, about all these thousand-year-old concepts that have been refined, ethos, the myth of air, the world of the forms, the allegory of the cave, anything under the umbrella of the aspiration of knowledge. This past year, we built this show. This episode, you, me, Plato, and all of the Greek gods are going to be building a city together. This book regards justice, talking with a kid with a criminal justice degree from a high-caliber university, high-caliber drinking. We read all kinds of how to process and book the inmates. You have your first arraignment, second arraignment, third arraignment. He's out, 20 years of life. I do not know why Plato's Republic and these big-picture justice books were not on our reading list. I think a prison warden put our syllabus together. Why were these guys so obsessed with justice? People back in this time did not know how to read. They were on a lower level, they were stabbing each other in the streets. So these guys were thinking, we need to figure out how justice will keep these people humane. We look back at our founding fathers and their concept was freedom. People had the protection at that point, so they were obsessed with how are we going to keep money-hungry bureaucracies out of our wallets. And we are going to be learning over Plato's 10 books of the Republic, how we get to this point as a society. Did we start as the utopia? Maybe. Are we there right now? A record low number of Americans would agree with that. <clears throat> so this is going to be a little bit like our Anatomy of the State episode. That episode definitely holds up. It's one of the first ones to break 100 views, all that. It was a good show. All about how these repeating forms of government. Look at the thumbnail for the video. It's some trippy world of the forms. <laughs> one of the books is a complete psychedelic trip Plato takes us on. It's these repeating scripts throughout history that these awesome writers and philosophers are able to pick up on. Things are going to be changing. 2020 coming up, and you know we are further developing this show as it gets better every month. So Harry Shit and This Past Month are going to be a separate section. Skip to the end of the show if you want to hear our 2019 Season 1 wrap-up and thank you to the audience. But keep on following down at Harry Shit Shadow Band. It's a tearjerker, man. Three years of work, and now every single post with this shadow ban, only a third of the followers get to see the memes. Going out to 4,000 heads, not the 12,000 that we have earned. There might even be like throttles on individual pictures. We are seeing from larger Instagrammers who are being shadow banned. They have more data. I'm a post a night because I gotta. there's got to be some thought behind these memes as opposed to just putting a when you fart in public and a minion with his finger over his lips oops 
giving you a little mental stake every night on those memes and a free story as well doubling down wrapped up december did a early um thanksgiving down in austin got to see some family did a little hostel hopping for a couple nights you know everybody says austin is the safe haven of the south if you're gonna go to texas it's the one place that you could go and be safe that's what all the denver hippies say and joke about I got to do an open mic down there, uh, Luster Pearl. Very cool venue. You can see the hippies will put their stakeouts all over this country. Made the pilgrimage to Cap City Comedy Club. Pretty interesting place. Very well run. A little bit far out of town. I'm sure within 20 years, Austin, they <laughs> they try to say, keep Austin weird. That was Portland's thing. Keep Portland weird. And so when I was there, Matthew McConaughey was on The Tonight Show. And he opens this flag and goes, all right, all right, all right. Keep Austin Austin. What does that mean? They have their own things going. It's definitely a weird place, but it's just like Denver. There's a, It's a more condensed city, but we got the culture out here. They're smoking meats. They got their gooey brisket down there that I could eat for the rest of my life, but what do we got up here in the mountains? We got <laughs> people losing their mind from the altitude, some dank weed, and good jokes, ladies and gentlemen. So fully after this month, I'm back on my feet after that motorcycle crash. I'm sorry for the low energy Jeb, (laughs) the bullshit on the last episode, but that'll throw your chemistry off for a minute. And it's good to be back, ladies and germs. Let's get into Plato's Republic about the author Plato. This guy was born in 420 BC. Nice. He's an Athens bookworm, not one of those Spartan meatheads, and he died around 75 years of age, taking him to 350 BC. This book takes place, the narrative of it, all the rich boy philosophers he hangs out with. We're not going to be remembering names, because that's what turns everybody off to these cool stories. It's all these bullshit names like the book is written in socrates perspective plato's teacher and guess who socrates teacher was sophocles you're not going to remember that type of stuff so just remember this book is told through plato's teacher socrates eyes and the funny thing about socrates why it is written in his memoriam he was executed by the city of athens for practicing philosophy homie was executed for thinking out loud He was challenging and asking others around him, dangerous, to challenge the fundamental beliefs upon which their society rested. Rulers do not like that. Go back to sleep, sheep. It's like nowadays, quick comparison in the About the Author, Seth Rich, offed by the CIA for practicing journalism. Repeating scripts we're talking about, we'll get deeper into that into the show. We're nixing the politics up front, if you hadn't noticed. Ever improving. And so, Plato's life, his teacher was executed for thinking so he's got a he's uh, having an existential crisis his entire life tiptoeing around and it's not until the end of his career that he releases this book the republic but he was always juggling that concept in his head because his teacher was off was it just for them to kill a dangerous thinker for the well-being of society or the overall wash the brainwash later in the book you see in uh diminishing bureaucracies they call them stingers people with dangerous ideas and then they call the consumer base the drones so what do you want to be plato was surely a stinger and he's in this end of his life transitional phase when he had just founded the academy you might have heard of it's a thousand year old school lasted for that long enlightening that many people just giving greek men the right to get away from the sword the right to get away from the to retreat from all that and immerse themselves in study philosophy 
because one of Plato's things was you need to be able to remove yourself to objectively observe. And his thing is we're going to build a city on the principle of reasons and justice. So why don't we get into it? Ten books we got. Book one, what is justice? We got to define justice if we're going to try to achieve it. The latter half of this book is going to bleed into why should we be just? Some of the guys in the circle take it to the next level. And remember, this was before Jesus. So you were allowed to think things like what is wrong with a starving boy stealing an apple from a merchant as opposed to him dying. That's just considered a sin. We have a more black and white society now. We can throw labels on things, but they have the time to sit around a fire and think, was it really wrong of the kid to take the apple? That probably would have rotted for the worms. Narrative of the book starts, Socrates and all of his buddies are coming home from a religious festival in the city, run into a couple travelers and noblemen that are convincing them to take a detour home just so they could draw out the conversation. We got the first two who are going to throw some dialogue down for us, father-son pair, Cephalus, Polymarchus. They hold different politics, but they're in the same family. Cephalus goes, justice means living up to your legal obligations and being honest, paying debts, and telling the truth. This is the definition of an older man, you can tell. He's getting ready for the afterlife, paying his debt. The Greeks had what was called the final judgment. They were one of the religion cultures that had the final judgment. So Hades had the final say if he was going to nab your soul for eternity, throw it into the river of sticks. This is weighing on Cephalus' heart, so he's going, the most just thing is to just pay all your debts before you die. Make sure everything is even. And Socrates is able to block this shot. He's just warming up by going, if I give a gun back to someone who's now on antipsychotics, even though it's their property, it's not justice. I just gave the tool of death to a madman. And all the innocent people around him are not then in a just situation. So Socrates is just warming up. He's saying we're going to have to do much more detailed descriptions than that. So Cephophilus' son, Polymarchus, charms in to try to defend his dad and goes, justice means that you owe friends help and you owe enemies harm. <laughs> I don't know if this guy was reading the Quran. He's encouraging people to go after one another. You owe enemies harm. It doesn't matter if you're praising a ripped guy with dope facial hair who got crucified or um, Arab guy with a beard or what do Jews do? praise the spaghetti monster it doesn't matter who you're praising you don't have to praise the concept of jihad and go attack other people as long as they're not attacking you so that's an easy block <laughs> socrates double clutch slam dunks on him he's going your principle is the same as your dad's you're saying we need to redistribute some resources of what you call justice from one place to another and you could see some of the parallels i'll try to draw to 2019 even though we're in negative years the saying lives through today. Show me a young Democrat and I bet you he'll die a Republican. The values change throughout life. It's what Cephophilus and his son are going. One's just saying, I want freedom in accumulated resources. And the younger guy's going, we just want freedom in action. But at the end of the road, you both want freedom. So I don't know why we're getting changed down into Socrates City. But Socrates makes a really, really, really good point here. He goes... Our judgment as humans is extremely fallible, so who are we to say stealing an apple equals 40 lashes or beating a guy within an inch of his life who uh, broke into your home and touched your wife? How is that not just justified? Why do you both of your lawyers have to pay immense sums of cash to the state? You see in like police lineups how fallible the human friggin' judgment is. We can't 
point someone out who might have broken into our own home. <laughs> so we're just trying to choose the best monkey to put in the black dress and slam the gavel down on the table and say justice has been served. I forgot about DNA exonerations. That shit is showing how how corrupt the justice system is, even when we think we have the super technology. So we have a newcomer in the conversation. This guy called Thrasymachus, Trashy Marcus. Justice is nothing more than the advantage of the stronger. It's more of a delegitimization of justice than a definition. But it's true, you can't enforce justice without the monopoly of force, which is what the state is. They have the guns. And Trashy follows that up saying, the just man is miserable. Socrates does not disagree with. <laughs> After some defense and tossing their little mental ball around, he updates his definition to justice is the unnatural restraint on our natural desire to have more. I'd agree with that one the most. We're just animals. Everybody's selfish. Some people will admit it more than others. We're looking out for our best interest. So you got to throw a little bit of repercussions down if you step over the line. And this is why socialism doesn't work. <laughs> I'm doing a little preemptive debunking because Socrates falls into like the division of labor and a lot of scary socialist concepts. He's saying, we're going to refer to the city as us, the greater collective. The way up front Socrates just conceded to the point that it's we need a restraint on our desires to have more. That's why we have hierarchies. That's why capitalism, oh, scary word in today's society, it works. So the young politician who wants to steal money for healthcare and the old businessman who wants to steal money for the military industrial complex have nothing discerning one another. It's more redistribution, whereas it's not a free or just hierarchy. If you keep your money nowadays instead of giving it to a war machine, you can donate through crowdfunding to the proper charities or roads that you want to see get fixed. Things like GoFundMe will totally delegitimize. Watch this democracy and government in the upcoming hundreds of years it's about keeping the illusion alive spoilers up front trashy goes he's on a roll justice is a convention imposed on us and it does not benefit us to adhere to it it only harms you not to adhere the rational thing to do is ignore justice entirely socrates is like oh shit this guy's no scrub not only do we have to now redefine justice but now you have to prove that it's meaningful whole next chapter gets into this Nietzsche-Z point. And what the difference is between what Trashy is doing and what the first two, Sophophilus and his son, tried to give an actual definition to the word, whereas Trashy is just going for truth of concept. He's trying to find out what is this thing justice? Like, why do we need this even? Why is this a thing that has coexisted and grown with humans? Because we need it. So Socrates ends this book one first discussion going, justice unites a group to find a common goal. And Trashy Marcus thinks achieving big things is valuable, but why does that make the goal of the common take precedent over the goal of the individual? So he's given some real elbow, some resistance to Socrates just stamping over everybody being a dictator of the city. He's really saying, I don't really care about... <laughs> I could buy two mango jewel pods a year and not give myself lung cancer and enjoy the flavor. Why am I grouped into the same group of people who suck down mango pods like Capri Suns and drive with Big Macs on their laps until they total their cars? It's not the same group. But we pay for each other's health care. Even though I didn't get compensated for that motorcycle accident, maybe we're not totally over it. <laughs> so much for i've been paying into freaking disability since i was 14 years old i've been working 
So where are those government programs for me, Socrates, Plato? Book two, justice should be admirable. And I start this one off, I'll glaze over it going, to give justice a definition, we need to know the tenets of it. So let's bring up three new tenets. And Glacon is the newcomer in the conversation here. Glacon is actually Plato's older brother. Little Easter egg. Glacon brings up the ring example. The Lord of the Rings did not invent this concept. It has been around for literally thousands of years, this story. If you could find a ring that makes you invisible, are you going to (laughs) go carry back-breaking worth bags of food to the food shelter? Or are you going to go to a bank and steal all the money and go to a hooker house and peep behind the curtains and whatever? Of course, if you have the ring, you're going to do unjustly things with it. And Glacon's point there is not only with the ring do people prefer to be unjust, it is in your monetary and greater best interest to do so. He doubles down, saying, The unjust man is honored with rewards and wealth, and the just man is rewarded with fulfillment. Which is like a family. You get to pass on your genetics and fucking hold a tiny version of yourself and uh, give all yourself the love that you thought you never got. But the unjust guys, <laughs> the Donnie Trumps, are going to be building gold buildings and sitting on thrones of millions. And another newcomer has to drop in. Adempheus capitalizes, saying, It benefits people in the afterlife to be just, though. Which is a good point. You know, that's I, the greater point he's getting at is, Where's your fucking moral compass? You shouldn't just rip people off for money. But everyone in the circle is low-key mad at him because he just bought the afterlife. He muddied their entire argument with this concept. So now Socrates, of course, this is on his side. He uses it to his advantage and is like, Aha! Justice is knowledgeable. Therefore, it's a virtue. Therefore, we're all going to strive to be it. Even though it makes you a lot more money to not follow rules. To not pay for parking meters. You get hit with one ticket a year when the meter maid catches you. Cost of doing business. (laughs) But Edemphius is here. Go back and listen to Anatomy of the State. He's fallen into the social contract theory, which is that justice buys you the reward of the afterlife. Paying taxes buys you the reward of a social security retirement. Who promised you the eternal life for not doing sins? Some guy in a wizard costume in a temple? Who promised you some social security when you're 65 and rotting? Some underground Washington fucking lizard? Be careful who's making your promises. The social contract, it's a pretty vague contract where there's nothing in ink saying that you're going to receive something. You just pay up to $126,000 into social securities during your working life. And hopefully you get to see that back when you're starting to get dementia 25 years, if you're lucky, before you die. Social security, invest today. Getting a little niche. Socrates saves the conversation by pivoting. He responds to the fact going back in on how justice is innately admirable. And he does this by saying there's two kinds of political justice, the state level and the man level. And it's getting a little hairy. So he's like, all right, we're building a city. This is when we start to build the republic from scratch. Socrates introduces, first thing up, what he calls the foundational principle of human society a.k.a. the principle of specialization, stating that each person must perform the role of which he is naturally best suited and that he must not meddle in any other business. Division of labor. 
He's the commie. He's saying you're not allowed to try something halfway through your life if you don't like what you're doing anymore. You are stuck to it. I don't understand. How did, like, the Soviet Union use Christianity? Like a real communist, the Chinese communism, you're not supposed to have a religion. But saying you only get one incarnation, this is Jesus, you have to right all your wrongs before you die. And you only get one go at it, and then you spend an eternity in heaven. An eternity of anything is torture. And they were able to convince people both with the religion and with the fact that you were only able to have one job, one go at it, on this globe. It's an info war. So we'll try to keep an open eye here. Communism was not attempted for its legendary hundred-year run, leading to over 40 million people slaughtered by their own leaders. What these guys were probably looking at back then, worker ants. Even those little guys have specialized roles, and that's how they're able to manipulate their environments. They were still trying to figure out in Greek times how the pyramids were made. So they were like, maybe we just have to act like ants, and we could build our own anthill. And the bare bones of the just city is going to be populated by craftsmen, farmers, and doctors. That's all you need. Make the food, make the clothes in the houses, and fix the sick. He calls them the producing class and says this is a healthy city. Plato thinks a government only needs to govern in necessary desires. But if you can construct the mentalities of all the citizens so that they only act within the predetermined loops, then you're not going to need any sort of justice or laws. It's the free radicals that the laws are made for. But Plato here would not have liked an income tax. United States of America did not have an income tax until 1920. You got to keep what you made. Now, we're in a perpetual state of war, so every single paycheck they get to take money out of. Quick history bomb. But no one's going to want to go to a little dinky hill town where there's just doctors, craftsmen, and farmers. The next stage, you got to transform the city into what they called the city with a fever. They had the Istanbul back then. It was like the city in the middle of all the trade routes. And what was everyone doing there? They had merchants, actors, poets, tutors, beauticians were going there. Everyone was ugly and smelly back then. There were people starting to cut hair and do nails. Big money in the big cities. This is what makes a city desirable and attracts immigration. Denver, I see now, is like an international transplant city. I've met a bunch of like Tunisians and Iranians I bought my car from. They told me some mind-blowing shit, man. They're like, you know your government just infiltrated our elections and overthrew our president, and now we have a dictator, and the CIA is funding the young rebel groups, the terrorists. And they're like, it's, there's riots in the streets there every day. It's civil unrest. Me and my family packed up, and now we're in the Rocky Mountains. I'm like, welcome, dude. I did not know that was going down. That's not what Twitter tells me. Twitter's telling me that we need more military funding and support for Israel, whatever an Israel is. I thought, <laughs> I just learned this month what Persia was. It's Afghanistan. We just changed the name. And Plato's saying once you have the city with a fever, wealth is going to accumulate and wealth leads to wars. People are going to want to ransack the city, see what those beauticians are doing to the women. You got barbarians now. So a warrior class needs to pop up to protect the city. And ta-da, you have handlers, you have cops. <laughs> and he's trying to define good cops. The whole next book, we're getting to the end of this one, is going to be about how you're going to make the best cops. So a couple quotes to end it. 
It is crucial the Guardians develop the right balance between gentleness and toughness. They must not be thugs, nor can they be wimpy and ineffective. Members of this class must be carefully selected, people with the correct nature or innate psychology. In particular, Guardians should be spirited, honor-loving, philosophical, knowledge-loving, and physically strong and fast. (laughs) That is a lot to ask for a government salary worker whose pension and life is always on the line. If you give the cop the chance to go shoot free munitions on the firing range during his lunch or go read Jane Eyre, you know he's taking the M4 out. Plato concedes that human nature is not good for guardian work. It might be good for dirty cop work, but you gotta groom justice. Another quote, education of guardians is the most important aspect to the city. It is the process of purification through which the unhealthy, luxurious city can be purged and purified. So the guardians can turn cancerous and can start to identify their own as the enemy. You see cops shooting a lot of unarmed people, it's only blowing up more because now we can see people videoing it those statistics were just buried i we had to go over the universal crime database was the big thing about the criminal justice education who's putting those numbers in the machine probably the sheriff and the sheriff wants to make his town look good maybe bump down the armed assault numbers and that'll make you have the uh, city with a fever And the guys realize one of the biggest things to having a sane society, you got to monitor the relations between the classes. We have the producing class and the upper classes now. Monitoring relations. This is the, you're doing like interpersonal, what's that game called? Twister on a societal level. Things are getting spicy. Book three. The grooming of the guards. They start talking about the concept of ethos, which is the characteristic spirit of culture of an era or community as manifested in its beliefs and aspirations. So it's the reoccurring themes that come up. And Socrates is saying the most important ethos and stories need to be handpicked for every single guardian. Because what you have to do for this group of people is immunize their fear of death. Why do you think Call of Duty is the biggest video game out there? All the first-person shooters. We're not afraid to respawn. These kids, these 18-year-olds are picking up M16s at record numbers. But the Greeks, they didn't have, like I'm saying, the brainwash, the one and done. They saw death as a step to another world. What if you? What if they're right? What if you die and you go to heaven and then you die there and you go to super heaven? The Guardians needed this different sim chip than from the lower class to be able to charge into a thousand men pointing spears at them in a Greek battle. So some of the hero rules. Heroes should never be shown engaging in violent laughter, since violent emotions in one direction usually lead to violent emotions in the other. Violent laughter. What movie just came out? What is an ethos of our time right now? The anti-hero. The Joker. It's the first rated R movie in decades to gross over a billion dollars without having a market in China. This was like a cultural piece that went down that the media tried to bury by saying you're going to get shot if you go see this movie. It popped off. And (laughs) Plato's saying you can't have this negative laughter. Let's throw a couple Joker quotes in. All I have are negative thoughts. It's the ethos of our time. If you told one of these guardians that stealing might actually benefit your family in the long run, run, it would negate all of those hero grooming of the guardian stories that you've been telling. So we're still at a good point. You know, kids aren't running around in Joker paint. They still got the Spider-Man mask going. 
with great power comes great responsibility and that's what you need that's the ethos you need in a well done empire but what did i just say and what did the jokers say people are starting to notice so glacon rallies everyone up and is like it's good to be bad if you can get away with it but if like i said if you tell a kid once that it'll undo every single fairy tale so socrates is like okay in this city where you are forbidding artists now to represent characters that are vicious unrestrained friggin graceless and slavish and you can see to have a utopian perfect city there needs to be total mind control so what is utopian to one person is not utopian to another. These guys are talking on philosopher level. What are philosophers back then who had the time to sit around and think? Politicians and teachers. They were just the only public speakers in the society. So these guys are thinking on the bigger level. A utopian is going to mean the sacrifice of the personal freedoms. And it starts out in step two of the city, the grooming. Relating it to today, this is why we see someone like Donald Trump in the Oval Office this breaks the matrix for people there are suburban white house moms who can't hold it together in front of their kids weeping when he was elected going this is the end of our country what the hell are you putting into your kids braid this is what they're gonna think of every four years happens now it's this dramatic no <laughs> we're still in all the wars the debt is at a record high tell me what has changed ladies and gentlemen Y'all might be mad at this point I am not agreeing and butt-buddying up with Socrates and his nightmare of a utopia. Listen up to this next part and how he walks this tightrope. He says you should not let sexual energy contaminate these occurrences ideally, but there is a correct love between a boy and a man. <laughs> Socrates considered such relations a vital part of a boy's education. Chew on that one. Pause the show if you need to. It's insane. So what am I going to do? What's the definition of comedy? Defend the undefendable. All of these mass shooters, the El Paso kid, the Klebolds from Columbine, those are the OGs. 90% of the shooters do not have a father figure. You go on a first date with a guy, I have not. I can only send out my condolences to women. You probably hear every single time, well, my dad told me treat women as you would want your sisters to be treated. Well, my dad told me, my dad told me. Those things get passed down. These like shooters who have no model for masculinity, they resort to the extreme masculinity. They don't know how to harvest it. They let that true power, the fucking toxic, the only time I'll say toxic masculinity destruction, they unleash it on students. Whereas you could use it to be a provider, an assassin. You can just yell at people in a suit and become a CEO with that anger. Man to boy is some is how some of the best knowledge is passed on. I don't think you need to do butt stuff. You have guys saying my dad told me all the time, but Plato is going. They these guys were spending time in the world of the forums. Yo, think about when you have a hot Spanish teacher. You do not forget the conjunctions of those verbs from that semester. It is in your brain forever. Oh, as ah, almost on. My Spanish teacher had a fat ass. <laughs> Maybe Plato knew that if you diddle a kid, they're going to remember algebra forever. I tried to do algebra last month. Gone. So Plato is bringing man-boy love into the grooming of the guards. Who wants to be part of the city still? And they found something like beautiful in the man-boy love. I haven't spent a lot of time in that dark corner of the internet, but they're saying there's some eros to it which is supposed to be the term for like true love or i've been calling it the secret sauce for memory like if your emotions get involved with something that's how you remember things forever 
They call it Eros. So I'm going to stop saying secret sauce now. We got a better word for it. <laughs> but Socrates is going, true knowledge is part of beauty. And everyone wants to be beautiful. So inherently, everyone wants to be smart as well. Which is not true. I go online shopping for lobotomies to try to get back to that happy place of ignorance. Why do blonde jokes exist? Because not everybody wants to be a freaking brain blast genius. Being hot is enough. I don't know how Plato deducted this and threw it into there. He sounds like he has some personal qualms. Or maybe he didn't like the man-boy love when he was a kid and had no say. He was including gay love as a waste of time compared to hetero love, which is necessary for procreation. Who cares where you're putting your penis? Why does there need to be a law about it? You just said there doesn't need to be unnecessary laws. He's going, since homosexual intercourse is useless, it cannot be good and beautiful. But you can do it. So there is no law on it. You got to respect it. He is a bit of a libertarian, but he has his opinions, obviously. Let's take what he said earlier and apply it to it. Whatever isn't good or beautiful in the city will be avoided. So there's not going to be a pride parade in Platopia. See, I don't know how these Greeks were on some real crazy shit. However, they compartmentalized that man-boy love doesn't count as gay love. So the guardians can get effed by the generals, but they can't eff each other. What a fun time in the barracks. Plato does not deny, though, that everybody has this animalistic drive for the erotic love. But great quote from the book here. The health of a man's soul is determined by the desires he aims to fulfill. So, you, like, you're sad if you have no goals. If you're just chasing tail around all the time without a goal, that's not going to fulfill you. So that's probably what he's getting at, getting out with, like, oh, you see all the people, Capitol Hill neighborhood, big out here in Denver, Probably 70% of the tenants are gay. People move to this city and just fucking let it go loose. My parents suppressed me, so now I'm just going to go suck dick up and down Colfax. It's a thing. Do your thing. Pussy hounding on the other end, it doesn't get you anywhere. So Plato's saying, hopefully the people in our republic are going to see that just drooling over yourselves isn't going to be useful. And he says later in the book that there are going to be sanctioned times for sex. Okay? Just more to this utopia. All the progressive people, this is how this winds up and gets twisted. That's why freedom should be the fucking top of the Christmas tree. Happy December. So final training of the Guardians here, grooming them up. They need to train like they're going to war, not training like they're playing some sports during PT. And in the classroom, they're going to be doing music and poetry. But too much of that is obviously going to make them soft. Too much of the physical training is going to turn them into the cancerous cells who are going to try to test out their baton strength on some of their jaywalking civilians. Plato throws down some final hard lines for Platopia, Platoville, Platoland. Doctors should be trained to treat the healthy who suffer from a single curable ailment. They should not be trained to deal with the chronically ill. Those suffering from an incurable physical disease should be left to die naturally. Those suffering from an incurable mental disease should be actively put to death. This would save Platosburg a lot of resources in the long haul. You see in Sparta, they were smashing babies on rocks who were not peak physical specimens. The state of Georgia could not exist in Platosburg. They're saying terminate unwanted pregnancies. So it's a tricky process. If you can make it to three years old without being thrown off a cliff, the best of the best of the guardians are chosen to be the ruler class, and they are called the auxiliaries or the warriors. And he gets deeper into those into book seven. But now we know about the ethos, some of the eros, that true love, and grooming the guardians. Book four. 
cashless society. Plato was on some Yang shit before the 2020 election. So Adiamantis, the guy who tried to bring religion into the argument before, he interrupts the good flow Socrates had building the city and goes, But wait, being a ruler sounds like a lot of work. And everyone just like deadpans around the circle and Plato just shakes his head and he's like, Homie, doing anything of value is going to take a lot of work. And the dishonesty we have about that in today's society is pretty goddamn scary. The participation trophies should be enough of an example. Plato follows this up going, yeah, the Guardians aren't going to be able to take trips. They're not going to have mistresses. They took this position to make others happy above themselves. Because the grand goal of the city is for the city to be happiest, not just one group of individuals. And Plato admits that the higher up the ladder and the hierarchies that you get the more neurotic that you get but the more perks that you have and plato brings it down to adimantis's level something he can understand in the world of the forms purple is the most beautiful color they take it for granted he goes nobody's eyes are purple so we have to learn to value the imperfection of humans and harness the good so like i'm saying before the raw power can be used to do terrible, terrible, disgusting things, or you could go defend your city with it. And Socrates knew that Adimantus' was a big money whore, so he wants to shut him up for the rest of the books. <laughs> Leans into Addy's shoulder and goes, hear this? There's gotta be no money in this city. And Adimantius was pissed and brought up a good point. He goes, how is the city without money gonna defend itself from invaders? And I think this is one of Socrates' many cop-outs He's going, we're going to have the best army. It's going to be better than any armies. I'm going to give you an army. It's going to be indispensable. Mexico is going to pay for our army. Plus, Socrates said, we are going to promise our neighbors the spoils of the war if they help defend us. So he was talking, the city is going to have to be geopolitical, but we don't have to be advancing on other cities. And somehow that justifies having no money. The communism grows. In this point, though, Big concession on Socrates' side. He admits the city can't get too big, whereas it'll get to the point where it's ungovernable and mock currencies are always going to pop up. How are you going to trade something or win a game? There has to be some sort of stake. People don't want to live in a world where there are no stakes. <laughs> My mouth would water all the time just thinking of a juicy T-bone. Seriously, there has to be winners and losers. Otherwise, everything would be gray. So with that big claim of no money, Socrates goes, boom, that is a just city, zero flaws. Now we just have to define its virtues. First being wisdom, Plato's eyes would pop out of his head if he saw the viewership numbers on the Kardashians and the record low Amazon book sales. You got to watch what books they're putting out and making it months while to get. I was just trying to get a hold of this book, Journalist for Hire, by Dr. Udo Ufokt, How the CIA Buys the News. It cost $1,000 on Amazon, and it had a six-month wait list. Let's start burning the books, ladies and gentlemen. We're at the end of the empire. Let's hide the knowledge. Crazy stuff. One of the books for 2020 is on a wait list right now. We're doing a little bit of controversial stuff, so stay tuned. Wisdom should be the first virtue of a well-just society. Second, he's saying courage, but this is just going to be for the auxiliaries and the guardians. The everyday man can be courageous in their own sense, but the rulers don't want the populace to be courageous in the least bit. Plato called it civic courage. 
So it would be turning in all political deniers to your neighborhood commissar. That would be a civic, courageous thing to do. And again, since only the Guardians have the knowledge, only they can be truly courageous. In my Ancapistan Libertarania Nixburg, we're going to give the knowledge to everybody. That way everybody can be courageous. You don't need to throttle these things. Why don't we just... You're doing a thought experiment, Plato. Why don't you test out the fact if you did give everybody the knowledge? Third, moderation is going to be the third virtue. And obviously he's saying the producing class is going to need to practice this most. That's why the starvation to death was one of the biggest things in history. So they're going moderation. We're going to have to keep it on the top of our mind. And fourth, justice. Everybody has to have fourthly in the back of their mind. And so the group starts getting a little trippy again. Sounds like they were lighting up a little bit of the silly grass, the jazz cabbage. And they're taking these virtues and trying to apply them as different parts of the soul. So they're comparing the city now as a one working soul. They're saying, just like in every single one of us, we have a proletariat inside of us that wants to climb the corporate ladder. We all have a guardian inside of us who's going to beat the shit out of somebody who looks at you wrong on the bus. So in their grand picture, society is like the individual in the sense that we all have a little community within all of us. Watch Osmosis Jones. And this is how he justifies saying political and individual justice are one. I still disagree, man, because you could be, like I'm saying, justice on a personal level is much different than agreeing that we should all pay maybe 2% for an environmental protection tax. Definitely different types of justice, but if you make a pretty enough metaphor, then you can make people pay taxes and abide the laws and get rid of money, apparently. And that's book four. What do you think is next? Book five, trust in structure. Socrates says the city and the just soul are now set up, as we see, as well as the four constitutions or virtues of the city soul. And so Polymarchus and Adamantius interrupt him. Good. This guy was getting a little too fancy talking about cities as souls. And Polly and Addy were going, in that entire rant, you just slipped in that people are going to have to share wives and children. Socrates is like, yeah, crazy city, a lot of sperm going around. He tries to defend this by going, it's going to be an equal city. Trust me, the women can do anything they want. They could be warriors if they're capable. He's on the ropes a little bit, and he throws out a wild term. He is a full libertarian now. We can see he's believing in true individuality. If you, if you could do something, do it. Just look at the odds of you being able to do it. So, for instance, if a guardian, if a woman made it to the guardian level, she is going to be superior to two-thirds more than that, just based on the population numbers, more than two-thirds of society she's going to be above. And this is when he dropped that scary, scary point in the truth and structure. For guardians, sexual intercourse will only take place during certain fixed times of the year. It's going to be during festival times. And that's when they're going to match up people for mating purposes. We already do this on our own. There doesn't need to be a giant festival. We all have boom bell, Tinder, firing off in our pockets every single damn day. You wind up dating somebody who dresses like you and looks who works at the same we work as you. We have our own designated hierarchies and castes. Plato is just thinking on the government control level because it's literally year zero minus. But still, to be thinking that you should be regulating sex, we're the furthest thing from a utopia in my book. It's like, <laughs> right-wingers will say, well, why the hell is the government in my gun cabinet? 
why are you saying the government should be allowed in a woman's uterus? You gotta have a standard. Get the government the fuck out of everybody's life. <laughs> They're not in their life. Anyway, you're hearing what's going on in Peru right now. We've already th overthrown Venezuela. Talking about people in getting in our elections. We literally just destroyed their country. In Peru, we're getting involved in theirs now who push more cocaine weight than Colombia. So CIA loves them. The people in the mountains in Peru are seeing that their president just got overthrown and they're like, oh, I don't even see the president. I was just donating to that for nationality reasons. Who are we giving money to now? Some pseudo-government who's siphoning money off to the guerrilla gangs in town? So we got a little civil war going in Peru because people are looking at the government and saying that is not us. What do we have in common with that? So Socrates thinks if you can control the sexual reproduction, you can get to people referring to the city in first tense pronouns, saying, we are the city. Oh, we have a festival coming up. We are playing the other sports team this weekend. You see, our society is almost at that point in certain aspects where people are washed over enough. And it is a beautiful thing until you see all the homeless people and you're not going, oh, that's we. You're saying that's them and I don't want to help them. Let's pass Proposition 30 here in Denver to push them out of the city. So Socrates, what does he do? It's getting hairy when you're trying to brainwash everybody to think the society is them rather than being an individual. He ignores it and changes the topic like a true politician. He says, the children, you know, who are training to be guardians, we're going to take them to war. We're going to make them see all the horrific things so that they're not scared of it. Just give them PTSD from the start. He did say, though, at least they will put them on horseback so they can retreat. However, any kid that retreats is seen as a coward and cannot be a guardian. So can you really retreat? No, you retreat to a life of cowardice. He tries to justify it, saying it's a defensive city, so we're not going to have to put the kids on horsebacks. But Greek was in a constant state of war back then. You can't just say that and not back it up. And he's going true to form, loop it back to how we started the city, ends it going. The patriotism is going to have to be the most important thing instilled in them, which is basically the same thing as that nullifying their fear of death. The producers, however, the bottom class, do not need patriotism because they do not need to make political decisions. They don't even need to be motivated to fight wars. One of Plato's quotes was, A courageous farmer does no good for the city as a whole. A patriotic craftsman or doctor is irrelevant for the standpoint of a society's good. The producer's only political task is to obey. Dun, dun, dun. There you go. Obey. Consume. Do not think. Go back to sleep. Sex one time a year. You can repost misinformation on Facebook. You cannot have a real political voice. Welcome to Pseudo Freedom. Book six. We are talking about, finally, the anticipated philosopher king. This quote hit home for this past month. I was on all those... <laughs> like I said, my brain chemistry was definitely off. I was called a schizophrenic by a few for the first time. <laughs> How do you talk for two hours into a mic and not come off like that? This quote is in my defense. The man Plato is on my side goes, The true captain will be called a stargazer, a babbler, a good-for-nothing by those who sail in ships in the governed way. Duncan, murdering all the NPCs of the world out there. Plato said the Guardians have to be loaded with a different sim ship from the masses and the Philosopher King is going to have to be out there. And he said the biggest philosopher is going to be the Philosopher King. And I did not know this, but that term, philosopher, translate to in English, a soul striving for wisdom, a lover of truth. 
I'm going to have to get that tattooed on my forehead, first and only tat. And Plato thinks once this guy has done all the thinking and has all the knowledge, spent the time in the world of the forms, which we'll be getting into, they're going to be pursuing knowledge, which is also justice, and he's going to want to help once he knows it all. And Adamantius is like, bullshit, every philosopher I've met is useless. (laughs) And Socrates actually agrees and is like, yeah, there's a lot of posers out there, but if we had this ideal city, there's only going to be legit thinkers who get to do the thinking. And Adamantius does make another good point. So this guy's a sleeper agent, and he comes to life in the second half, and he's like, well, then why aren't these people just politicians? (laughs) And Socrates kind of fixes his shirt collar and is like, they are. If you don't make it as a fucking thinker or whatever you were trying to do, you usually go just go do politics. Alexandra Ocasio, 30-year-old that is magically a senator. And Socrates said there isn't going to be politicians in the ideal city, so there isn't going to be people who need to push garbage to feed their family. There's not going to be political action committees whose job is to buy lies and push them into law form. And Plato makes the metaphor how currently the city is like a ship with a captain with poor eyes and bad hearing. You've heard the thing, give Donald Trump a dose of mushrooms and we'll all be off for a better course. Maybe he will actually bring home the troops then. So since everybody in America knows that the captain is blind right now, the system is getting robbed blind. Is that the term? It's corrupt to the bones because everybody sees that it's at the point where we can feed off the whale carcass. Democracy is dead. I'm starting to think we're buried in the middle of the show. We could go a little conspiracies. Beto O'Rourke, that guy came out of nowhere and then fell off the face of the earth quicker than anyone dropped out of the race this month. He is just a Texas Democrat. They're trying to swing Texas blue finally, and then there's no more elections in America. That's It throws off the entire electoral college. Either that or just that's the distraction for the next X amount of years. Back to Plato. The one thing, if you had this guy thinking straight, you've heard benevolent dictator before. If you had the one guy in total control who's thinking right, it's perfect. You got a philosopher king. Plato thinks this needs to be someone who knows the world of the forms more than anybody. These guys were burning a lot of acacia bush back then. They say, when did Moses first talk to God? It was when they were around the burning acacia bush because what comes out of that dimethyltryptamine You're going to the fucking sacred world, the other part. He's taking a far trip. And one of the quotes says, In the intelligible realm, it controls and provides truth and understanding so that anyone who is to act sensibly in our private or public must see it. If this philosopher king is really involved in this world of the forms, they're not caring about stuff in their face or filling their sexual appetite. They will be striving so hard towards truth, it will dull all their other senses. So you don't need money, honor, pleasure, or any of those other things. But the hardest thing Plato also said that it's going to be to program out of the person to want is honor. Even if you're at the highest level of a guru, you're going to want people to remember your guru name forever. So honor might be the driving force for men that is uncontrollable. And Plato's analogy here, I'm starting to talk two languages. We're getting a little trippy. Plato goes, sun is to real world as knowledge is to ethereal realm. So just like the sun does the photosynthesis to the plants, they need to absorb it. When you are in that astral plane, the friggin' ethereal realm, being there waters your pineal plant. It grows that third eye. Your soul gets better. (laughs) 
Everybody had a name for it. The Romans called it enlightening. The Greeks were calling it coming to be. We have butchered it down to woke. But one of the best thinkers ever, Plato's going, most people spend their entire lives in the visible realm. The philosopher king is going to be chilling in the realm of the good for a lot of his free time. So the philosopher king is most likely just going to be some psychonaut with the most elastic, open mind and ability to learn. We're not talking about the people who are on the streets. You don't get there unless you have a mental illness. And then someone gives them a $5 hit of acid and their mind breaks in half. When some people go into these realms, some people break under pressure. Some people can bring back fucking untellable truths. Dog, I have this huge bit in my act about how Pythagoras, this motherfucker tripped so hard that he ran up and down Greece for the rest of his life and measured triangles. He figured out the Pythagorean theorem when he was on this astral plane, and now we can triangulate how far stars are away and shit. Because this guy went deep, and he was able to start dissecting numbers and formulas. So call it as the Greeks did coming to be, call it Nirvana, the realm of the good, the ethereal dimension. We've all been there before and probably after death, but the psychonaut philosopher king is going to be our safest bet finding the knowledge. If you can go there and come back, this world is nothing to you. So what will the philosopher king, what do you learn? On what's the most basic trip note that you make your first time? Love. And Plato goes, the philosopher king is going to understand that love is the answer. Harmony between all the classes. Hippies of history, Plato. Book 7, The Allegory of the Cave. The juiciest, most rare bite. If you're an Aristotle guy, this part goes heavily against his philosophy because Aristotle was a big physical world type of guy, whereas Plato is talking big picture. He's not afraid to talk the world of the forms. Main point being here, education moves the person, the philosopher, the student throughout their life, which is just all representatory of, along that divided line and drags people out of the cage, ultimately bringing them to the form of the good. So how does this allegory start? A group of people have been lined up in a cave deep back in the annals of the cave since birth they have been there. They're chained up so they can only look at the wall. The people cannot even turn their heads. The light of day, forget about it. The only thing that these people see are shadows behind them. They can't turn their heads. So what is behind them? A fire. And behind that fire, a man, a free man with puppets creating narratives and making little puppet shows around the fire. So then what is coming off of the fire? A shadow. And a play is going on for the people to watch. And because these shadows are the only thing that the prisoners see, they believe them to be the most real things in the world. The only reality that you're comfortable with is the one that you know. It's hard to listen to a new song. It's hard to take a new way to work. You know what they've discovered recently? Taking different ways home from work delays the onset of Alzheimer's. You gotta keep it real. You gotta be trying to learn new shit. Why do people fucking throw in the towel at a certain age? They're just like, oh, I'm done. I'm just gonna try to play the survival game from here on out and die. That's how you let your brain rot. You gotta try to make it out of the cave is the point here. Plato says this represents staring at the shadows, the lowest form of imagination or thinking. You're just taking in what is being regurgitated. You're not being inquisitive. You're not trying to turn your head or get to the physical world. So majority of the people do not even know 
that there is a world beyond the cave. Next, the prisoner is dragged out of the cave into the world above. At first, he saw a dank red pill documentary. At first, he is so dazzled by the light up there that he can only look at the shadows. It's all a metaphor. When you are introduced to new habits, most people just revert to the old habits, do what is comfortable. Have you looked at the MEPS statistics? Alcohol addiction and uh, cigarette addiction can be cut over half the time. If you take the proper dose of psychedelic mushrooms, people are getting rid of their lifelong addictions at a 50% success rate. But then the other half of the people have to look back at the shadow. They realize that the enlightened path, unfortunately, is the most difficult one. So half the people are going to look back at the shadow. Half the people are going to start making their way out of the cave. Some of the people eventually will be able to look at the reflections and eventually they'll be able to look at the real objects themselves. And then Plato's final step for the allegory will not quite final, but the path to enlightenment, you will eventually be able to look directly at the sun, aka becoming enlightened because, you know, the sun creates all life. This is a terrible metaphor. I guarantee a lot of people were going blind in Greece at the time, hearing the allegory of the cave, the... <laughs> top of the charts, the top trending story of the hour. They're looking at the sun trying to become enlightened and they just become blind. <laughs> so there you go. If you look at the sun too quick, you're exposed to information too soon. It'll make you go crazy. Plato says this is why he started the thousand-year-long academy. The goal of education is to drag every man as far out of the cave as possible. Not by regurgitating facts, but by independent thinking. He said, knowledge isn't about fitting as much knowledge in your head as possible. It is about finding the right desires. And the goal of his city is to help those with the right natures reach their goals. Like we said before, it's not just the happiness of the individual who could get enlightened to just dance around outside of the cave. You must return to the cave and help the prisoners out. Unfortunately, educated and sharp-witted men are going to use this for personal gain. They might drag somebody half out of the cage and partially into their cult. Or they might just go into the cave and start selling popcorn around the fire. Or they might become a real estate mogul, build <laughs> casinos and make money off of people ruining themselves and then become the president. People will use being out of the cave to their advantage. Waking up is exponential. He's saying because the form of the good illuminates all understanding once it is grasped. You've heard knowledge is holistic. This is where the quote forms, you need to understand everything to understand anything. Book smart versus street smart. So it's not until you are fully out of the allegoried cave that you can start to look at things in the right light. Socrates does say, though, not everybody is going to make it out of the cave. So the fires dancing on the wall, the shadows have to be a good enough story to keep those people entertained. So the just city is made. We have the stories that are going to keep them all in place, everybody in check. And Socrates goes, we just got to implement the city now. And the best way to do that is kick everybody above the age of 10 out of the city and start the process. <laughs> Set fire. Book eight, we are getting into the part where he is going over all the types of governments and bureaucracies that have been tried throughout history. 2,000 years later, we're still trying them and failing in the same way. Author Plato says there are four other city-man pairs that can work. 
not the republic which he thinks is ideal. Number one, a timocracy, it's called. The honor-driven man rules the government. This is like Japan in their 400-year period of isolationism, where it was just the best samurai or the fucking most deadly ninja who got to be the ruler because he killed with honor. He had the form of the good in him. He wasn't going around like a barbarian stealing and raping. He was just the best at what he did. And this can work, it seems, a democracy, people just thriving off of each other's honor. If Hirohito did not sell the country out to the Nazis, you know, ending their period of isolationism and that entire experiment. <laughs> so number two, the city-man pair we have is an oligarchy, which is ruled by man and driven by necessary appetite. You've heard of oligarchies going on today. Russia is basically owned. <laughs> There's some of the biggest billionaires in the world there. There's probably trillionaires there. And some would argue America is at the point of oligarchy. Laws are bought and sold. Easy connections are made with political families. Look at who has been our presidents for the past 50 years. Holy shit, did you see recently? Like a fourth grade girl did a project and was able to relate every single U.S. president to the same bloodline. And you're saying, Obama, he's black. He had a tie to fucking Dick Cheney. How did they hand off that president from the biggest warmonger, 9-11 handler, to black Jesus who overthrew the Tunisian government, started open-air slave trades in Libya, but, you know, the drone lord is our savior. Who's been running us? The Kennedys, the Clintons for 50 years, the Bushes for 80 years, the Trumps are about to start their second generation with Donald Trump Jr. That guy is a... He's either a super lizard or the bro of all bros, because he'll go on a radio show and just talk shop. He's the next generation of politicians. And so some people argue we are an oligarchy at this point. We have democracy, which is the third city man pair. Who is your, can you name your local electorate? Probably not. Democracy is supposed to be men driven by an unnecessary appetite, which we know started out as freedom, freedom of religion, creation of community, knowledge. And then fourth, there's tyranny, which is men running on unlawful appetites. And we have all these four different types of city-man pairs. And you might be trying to piece all where these are in the world, but these aren't different cities, ladies and gentlemen, boys and squirrels. These are the same cities at a different stage of time. You can see, this is why I'm saying maybe we are an oligarchy at this point. Things divolve. Empires do not last forever. America's a badass place. Rome was a badass place. You could watch a crocodiles fight armies of men for five shingles and get a bucket of chicken and piss in the stands. Good time. There's millions of channels on demand. Pornography is at an all-time high. Gambling addiction is at an all-time high. We're having a good time. The distractions are at an all-time high. Obesity. And so you see, in the period of democracy, honor-driven men, the founding fathers, they were sweating, wearing their petticoats in 90-degree weather, Philadelphia wet heat, and going out and boising it up in the pubs after writing constitution for days on end. They were honor-driven. They are not flying to their uh, islands off of Maryland after a two-hour bill signing while they're on C-SPAN for a couple hours. And then we never see our electorates again. And we're into this point, maybe of tyranny. People call Donald Trump a tyrant. 
our political figures, the Rachel Maddows, the Tucker Carlson's are praised. They're given millions of dollars for pushing a fake conspiracy, Russia collusion, Obama birther, to sow division amongst us. Our media is pushing people deeper into the cave. And Plato's going, this has been happening in the BC era. After the first generation, this is why he's saying we got to kick everybody out of the city for it to work. The first generation of guardians are going to do anything to make sure that their sons are guardians. I almost joined the military because I was going, ooh, a common goal. I just want to get behind and be part of something bigger than myself. It's just as fucking cutthroat and doggy dog as the private sector. Maybe worse with the nepotism. If your dad is a general, you are going to commission as an officer. You're not going to be a fucking unlisted wrench turner. There's some hairy shit going back there, just as there is in the private sector. But Plato knew, as soon as you have a second generation, it gets muddier and muddier. And we haven't touched our fucking constitution, there's more updates on an iPhone app, than we have done to the 400-year-old piece of parchment that's collecting dust in Washington, D.C., while all those guys do coke with our tax money. And he's going to say, in the Republic, the only people who are going to have political say are the Guardians, because they are the only ones fighting to keep it alive. And you see, like, the left wing is trying to break up the state of Texas, and they're trying to give the 16-year-olds the vote. That's not, like, someone who has fought for their land. These are some of the most ignorant people in our society. They don't have a brain yet. I barely have a brain. I'm 23, and I can see how, yeah, it's starting to solidify. We have Plato on democracy. Democracy, is this your god? He goes, they give out positions of power pretty much by lot with no notice of who it is most fit for or what role. In this city, the guiding priority is freedom. Everyone is free to say what they like and to arrange their life as they please. There is a complete license. We, therefore, find the greatest variety of character traits in this city. Denver! What do we not find is any order or harmony. Denver, 16th Street Mall, chaos, anarchy. (laughs) No one occupies the appropriate roles. Plato, nail on the head. Our fucking president is a game show host. That's pretty much what a democracy looks like. But are you willing to sacrifice that freedom for the individuality? Or are you willing to put a license plate stamping machine in all those homeless people's hands? That would be the Plato utopia. But there would be clean sidewalks that don't smell like piss. And while I'm saying uh, homeless, hobo, there's supposed to be some like PC word for it now. Urban camper. Fucking, I'll call him an eyesore, bro. I don't want him here to be PC. These eyesores, Plato will call them free agents. And throughout history, they've been called gypsies. And these are the most dangerous outside threats, especially if they're cognizant. We learned in Anatomy of the State that state does not fear war. The state does not fear white-collar crime. The state does not fear terrorist attacks or mass shootings. It encourages those because it makes people rely on the state more. What the state fears are these stingers. They fear free radicals in France. There are still thousands of people rioting. The Yellow Jackets over in Paris. The media will not show it. The government's getting a little too handsy on their oil over there. Imagine if that happened in America. It will eventually if it keeps going like this. They call it rasant d'etre. You gotta have some balls. Let the government know you're not their fucking tax farm. Plato knows he's gonna kick all of these people out of the state. (laughs) Julian Assange. Edward Snowden. Exiled. Welcome to 1984. Damn, I didn't talk about it in this past month. Fucking YouTube is 
on December 10th, they're taking off anything that has information in it. Hopefully, we don't get taken down. Where are we going next? BitChute is supposed to be the next big uh, video platform. We'll see. And at the end of this democracy way, Plato is saying that the drones are going to become fake political leaders. You have the AOCs. She was just a waitress, and she took a casting couch video, and now she gets to deal with millions of taxpayer dollars. You're voting for these drones. You're so free. When you have to pay a third of your salary for free health care, that's so empowering. And Plato knew the best distraction during all of this descendant into tyranny is constant war. Somebody read Plato's Republic on September 10th, 2001, (coughs) Dick Cheney. Since the war on terror, we had that day the Patriot Act, Citizens United Political Campaign Finance Reform. This country has gotten a lot further away from that beginning timocracy idolizing freedom. That is the demigod democracy. Taking us to book nine, Tyranny. He started with a long description of the tyrannical man. Everybody knows a tyrannical man in their lifetime. A freaking restaurant manager, all those people are miserable. They are just the dictator of the people in their life. (laughs) Plato, quote, Under the tyranny of erotic love, he has permanently become while awake what he used to become occasionally while asleep. Scary. It's these people that are operating at a high level while they're still asleep. Like I said before, the dose Donald Trump thing. Lawless men are drawn toward criminal desires. Everyone has lawless desires. It's these people who are not experienced at all in the world of the forms or who have not philosophized or pontificated a thought for the past 30 years, taking very high power positions. And he's saying the tyrants, the people at this stage, even the warriors turn into animals. They live for feasts, revel in luxury and girlfriends. (laughs) that's just like us i was saying before how we're all addicted to gambling and porn and shit we're all getting to this tyrannical stage it's not you've heard before the way the individual acts is just a mirror of the highest power there you go maybe that's why all the housewives are acting up about donald trump it's because the dads now think they can act like donald trump like an asshole and let it rip zero filter Plato's just reinforcing in this book here, close to the end, basically going, we need someone truth-loving, honor-loving, and non-profit-loving. We need that philosopher king that's the only way to stop a tyrant. And although the tyrant and all of his cronies are going to be drowning in the money and the women, he knows the tyrant is still the most unhappy, as the just man is the happiest. So this is why Hillary Clinton, she has all the money and the lesbian lovers in the world, Creepy pictures apparently coming out with she's into more than just lesbians. She's into that man-boy love. She takes truckloads of pro-vigil. We got Donald Trump. Everybody has prospected that he has the little penis with the small hands. The billionaire who has supermodel wives and bangs porn stars. Why is he doing this and taking all of his Ritalin? They are self-medicating. The just man is the happiest, not these tyrants. It's going to take us to book 10. Socrates is saying by now, I've defined justice and how it is worthwhile. We got to trip talk. We talked about the world of the forms and how ours is just a world of influence and perception. So people around the circle, the Socrates circle, are throwing out their final questions. Poets, are they allowed in the city? I got a buddy who's a poet who wants to be part of the Republic. Socrates goes, poets imitate the worst parts of life and divert energy from the rational parts. 
he goes, I will let poets in the city if anyone had enough of an argument to keep them there. I think I had my rant on this previously. I do not understand poetry. You just have to have a good backstory. This fucking Ralph Waldo Emerson book has been sitting on my shelf for a couple months now. I can't get into it. What is he babbling about nature? We get it. You lost a lot of children and wives to dysentery. It's hard. Aside from a sonnet, I remember my brain turning off when we went over those in English class. It's like a haiku on steroids. You got to be able to... You have to actually read that part of the dictionary where it has the the crazy foreign symbols over the words all to just write a sonnet. So Shakespeare's got a little pass on those. That guy was genius thinking in some other rhythm. Plato not loving the poets. They don't bring that much value. They're going to bring the open micers to the city, the people who are just <laughs> the people who you have to sell drinks to and are not bringing value there yet. And what another guy brings up again, because we did gloss over how does the religion line up to the society, which are very big when you're forming a society. The myth of air is going to be their go-to, which is that people are rewarded with an afterlife based on your own merit, or what is better known as karma. Air was a soldier that died in battle, but he got to watch from the cloud for like a thousand years, and apparently he's one of the big judgment guys, and he says what it's most fair for you to be reincarnated as, basically. So eternally we go through these cycles, these guys think, of happiness and misery. The same idea as Buddha's wheel in the sky. And just like Plato had to define justice to Adamantus and fucking podium, whatever, before for them to get into the society, he's saying that the myth of air isn't justified so knowledge can set you free. So I'm saying, heaven isn't fair, dude. What age are you stuck at? Are you stuck in your 80-year-old crap body when you die eternally? And he's saying we can educate our people on the world of the forms. It doesn't have to be hidden away and criminalized as dangerous chemicals. You can meditate to get to these places. It takes 20 years. Or you could take the shortcuts. Plato's saying these shortcuts are going to be readily available to people. Pursuing knowledge on the world of the forms, they would say, puts order and harmony into the soul. And remember, the city is a soul. So the more of the world of the forms, the more creativity you got jiving around the city, the more everything is going to mesh. So we don't need to focus on the myth of air if we're chilling in the world of the forms every now and then. It's that whole myth of the air, the whole freaking promise of heaven, the promise of social security, I'm saying. That's like literally sleeping during the show and praying there's an encore. You're at the show. Enjoy it. Make it out of the allegoried cave with me, people. I want us all to be philosopher kings by the end of next season. I'm going to leave you with a definition and a quote, which we had before. Philosophy is defined as the love of truth. And Plato says, ignorance then is the only true sin and philosophy the only cure. Deep points. Learning about building societies. We're only going to get deeper. You will peer deeper into the canals of my brain as we dissect more topics like these moving forward. I want to thank you guys. I want to thank the I want to thank Plato himself for writing this age-old mind buster and giving us a fun topic for the day. Before we do our season 1 wrap up real quick at the end of the show, what do we got next month? We are going to be starting off January of 2020 very strong. We thought we were going to be flying around cars, hover boots, eating holographic food by this point. 
Sorry, you're getting an audio podcast through headphones from Nick Muniz. To start off the new year, we have some strong motivation out the gates, as you always should. The author, a Messiah to many, the Lobster King, the master of order and chaos. We have Dr. Jordan B. Peterson and his international bestseller, 12 Rules for Life. This ex-Harvard psychologist has dissected the minds of the most troubled, the smartest, and the most uniquely fucked up brains and got them back on course. This book, 12 Rules for Life, has been translated into over a hundred languages in over a hundred countries. This thing, I've seen pictures of quotes in the middle of Germany from this book. Jordan Peterson, for the past five years, he's been doing world tours, filling up stadiums, giving people this knowledge that he has accumulated from helping thousands of people. He's modern Jesus, and he's Jewish. (laughs) He's going to be crucified by the left-wing progressives, and then you guys could like him. He does get tied down with that alt-right personality, but that's only because it's not a corny motivation book. He brings anecdotes from the Bible. So, of course, then he's a right-wing conservative devil. In the Bible, there are hidden stories of the triumphs of man and how when you get knocked on your ass, you get the fuck back up immediately and see what you did wrong. Jordan is all about that type of shit. So New Year's Day, I want you guys to hit the treadmill hard, press play on a brand new episode of Nick's Nonfiction, and I'm going to make that a fun run for you guys getting off on the right leg. Not only is it a brand new epi, but right in early 2020 will be the launch of our second season ladies and gentlemen so i want to thank all of you who were there from the start from our first episode a year ago it's a totally different show from then i said when we started out it gets better every month it's a different fucking show than it was a year ago i've said i'm excited to see what it's like a year from now because we are doubling down just like the meme page i've been doing that one for three years the growth is exponential when we started back in january 19 zero subscribers zero views we're breaking thousands of views you know we're gonna throw down a hundred subscribers this year so as the feedback grows exponentially the skills get exponentially better the soundboards everything we're adding production value here baby and what's coming up 2020 bonus episodes we are going bi-monthly. I'm going to try some new aspects as this show was. It's a crapshoot market test. We're going to see how things do and adjust. So <laughs> you might have a little wince on January 15th when we get our first bonus up out there. But we're growing here on both ends. Always a redeeming value to every show. So wherever you spend your time, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, YouTube, Check out the show. Drop a subscription. We got reviews over on iTunes, all five stars. I really appreciate you getting involved. It feels good to make something that someone also finds value in. For real, this has been my favorite project. And I find more about myself. I find more about all the knowledge in the world. I find out how little I know the deeper we get into this. And that's why it's been one of my favorite processes. And I'm eternally grateful to have started it. I'm eternally grateful for everybody who's still tuning in. Because we are going to rev it up. We're going to be learning and living and laughing all of 2020. So all of you out there, have a just holiday. And I will see you bright and early at the crack of ass of 2020. Peace.